from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. Welcome to season four of Creator Talks. My guest on this show is Dave Chisholm. Look up multi-talented in the dictionary and you'll see his picture. Dave has earned a doctorate in music. He plays the trumpet professionally, among many other instruments, teaches a drawing class, and is the writer-artist of Canopus, which goes on sale February 12th through Scout Comics. During our conversation, we're going to look back at another book he wrote and drew, instrumental, for which Dave composed and performed on the accompanying soundtrack. I also found out that Dave will be teaching a class this year at the Rochester Institute of Technology on comics and music. We are going to learn about the course and what is on the syllabus. Of course, Dave and I are going to talk about his book, Canopus, which is about an amnesic astronaut stranded on a planet 300,000 light years from Earth. Is it just another sci-fi story? Well, no. There's a central theme about forgiveness and how memory not only plays a part in the story, but how it is structured. And during the show's signature segment, kicking back with the creator, going to ask Dave all the fun questions I ask all my guests, including what he likes to do for rest and relaxation, his favorite birthday, his island book, action figure accessory, beverage of choice, what still gets him excited, what keeps him up at night, and how he wants to be remembered, plus a few of the things we chat about. But let's get started. My conversation with musician, teacher, writer, artist, and creator of the four-part comic series, Canopus, being published through Scout Comics. Please welcome Dave Chisholm, here now on Creator Talks. Dave, welcome to Creator Talks. Hey, how's it going? I'm honored. I have the most amazing guests on my show. I had someone with a doctorate in physics. I had a technical writer working on her doctorate. And you have a doctorate in music. Uh, that's true. That's true. It's not physics. Well, let's start with music. You are a professional trumpet player. Yeah, among other things. I also play a lot of gigs on guitar and sing and uh, a fair amount on piano as well. Although my main instrument is indeed trumpet. Now, did you start with the trumpet or was it perhaps the piano? I started actually with violin when I was like four years old, and then I switched over to trumpet um, when I was 11. Are you a Jack Benny fan? Jack Benny fan. The comedian? Yes. You know, I used to have a bunch of old tapes of like old radio shows when I was really young. Some of them were Jack Benny, and they were pretty funny. Good. You know who he was. That's very good. (laughs) The other day, my wife went shopping, and she said, oh, I saved all this money. And I sent her a picture of Jack Benny. She was texting me because his character was cheap. And she's like, I don't get it. Who is that? I'm like, okay. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I had to explain it, which is no good. Music. You know, it's risky going into the arts, especially in this job market, right? I mean, parents are like, be practical, do this, do that. (laughs) What made you decide you'd go into music as a profession? It's something that I was really drawn to and has always spoken to me. I was good at it. It just it just happened to work out that way. And I think that um the reputation that music and the arts have as being unstable professions is a bit overblown. I wish I had the stat off the top of my head. The percentage of oh, I'm just gonna sound like an idiot right now if I try to say this, but basically <laughs> like there's a lot of money that's earned in the arts on like every level. In any like mid sized town, there are always 
several people who were working full-time as musicians or as music teachers and as artists or art teachers. And there's a lot of work. I work quite a bit in the fields that I've kind of stumbled upon or been obsessed with, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, So you asked why did I choose music? And the answer is just boils down to that I'm a pretty obsessed person. And one of the things that that kind of caught me pretty young was music. I'm a pretty obsessed person too. Ask anyone, and you know, you're just driven. You can't help it. You know, you like something, you're all in. That's it, and you just chase it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and as far as it being an unstable career, or so people think. Look, unless you're a doctor or you know, registered nurse or something like that, just about every job's unstable today. That's true. Who supported your decision? And who are your detractors? No detractors. Everyone has been really supportive, really great parents, a nice support system and everything. Now, moving into comics, when did you first discover and fall in love with comics? Oh, man. Earlier than I can remember. To this day, my mom claims my first word was Spider-Man. Remember what some of your first comics were? Or did you discover Spider-Man through comics? Or was it through like cartoons or some other medium, perhaps? I think one of my first comics was an old Batman comic, but... It wasn't really anything super spectacular. As far as the Spider-Man, it was probably more from toys and the Spider-Man and his amazing friends cartoon from the 1980s. And then the old 1960s Spider-Man cartoon syndicated back then, or maybe we would rent it from the video store or whatever. But pretty early on, I started making my own comics. So that was kind of like the appeal. I just really loved drawing And from like an earlier age than you might expect, it became more about following the people who are making it as opposed to the characters themselves. Oh, that's interesting because a lot of people have told me, you know, they didn't first realize who was making the book until much later. That they were so captivated by the art and the story that they really didn't look at who was making it. That came later. But you were following the people working on them. I don't want to oversell it. Maybe starting around like age 10. My brother and I would get comics uh, whenever we would like lose teeth. The Tooth Fairy would bring comics. My parents were hilarious in the comics that they chose to give us because it would be like a big stack and it would almost all be very bizarre black and white boom, 1980s, oddball, like yummy fur. And very, really? yeah, yeah. In hindsight, I feel super lucky to have been exposed to such a wide array of comic possibilities. Did they know anything about the comics where they're like, oh, it's a comic. I like that. You know, I've never actually asked them. I should. Because I would get comics from my parents and they just looked at the rack and said, okay, well, here's X-Men. Grab things randomly for me. Sometimes war comics. I don't think it was because I was into any particular one. I mean, sometimes it would be Archie. But yeah, that's interesting. They, They really picked out some good stuff for you. Do you still have all those books. They live in my parents' basement, I think, still. <laughs> uh, I, I have a few of those that <laughs> Better I... Better they than you. <laughs> yeah. I think I still have a few of those here. My parents live in Salt Lake City, and I'm in Rochester, New York. I think I still have some of those old comics here, a few that I've kind of, like, hand-selected to take with me. Some random ones, like the Ninja Turtles Teach Karate comics that are, like, super hilarious and bad from the 1980s. I mean, they're not bad. The drawings are awesome in it. Just the idea that it's some sort of like certified martial arts instruction manual is hilarious to me. And you said you began drawing comics your own. From just reading the comics, you wanted to do your own thing. So what were some of the first things you made? The the earliest one I remember is one called World of the Robots, which was 
basically just a big Transformers ripoff. And it was like a short five page little thing. And I was maybe four or five when I made this. It's something else, man. The paper's all like yellowing and brittle now. It's pretty funny. I made a lot of Marvel trading cards, like my own trading cards around that time in like the early 90s. My own versions of them. Middle school, I had a few like ginormous stories that were like, this is going to be a 200 issue epic. And then I did like maybe eight issues of it and was like, wow, this is a lot of work. My life would kind of boomerang back to comics every so often and I would try to do a project. After I got my bachelor's degree, I toured with a rock band for a couple years. And then after that fell apart, I did a book called Let's Go to Utah. That was my first earnest attempt as an adult to make a comic that people might like. And that was around 2007 to 2009. And I did finish a nine-issue run of that and self-published it. It got a little bit of a following back in the deviant art days. I still have some people come up to me now at conventions and tell me that that was like one of their favorite indie, capital I indie, like the most indie that you can possibly get comics. So it's kind of cool. And then, you know, back to school to get my master's degree and my doctorate. After I finished my doctorate, I did instrumental, which was put out in 2017. That was a 224 page graphic novel that you put out. What was that story about? Obviously, it's going to involve a trumpet player, but uh, just kind of an overview of it. The basic elevator pitch for that one is it's about this trumpet player that that gets given this old trumpet that makes the most amazing music. The only problem is every time he plays it, uh, somebody dies and bad things start to happen and it snowballs from there. And it comes with a full length soundtrack of music. Each chapter has a track of music that is meant to accompany the chapter. And you played all the music? It's a group. So I played like trumpet. And then I also do some like auxiliary like synth and a little bit of like wordless vocals and like hand claps and stuff like that on the album. And I wrote all the music. That one was definitely a labor of love. That's for sure. You are teaching drawing classes still? I am. Yeah, I I teach drawing classes. State University of New York, Brockport campus. Pretty wild. And you also taught one on comics and music at Rochester Institute of Technology? I am teaching that starting in the spring, in like January. Okay. It's a brand new course. I don't believe there's been a course on this topic ever taught anywhere. I could be wrong. So I'm basically inventing this course from the ground up. I'm really looking forward to it. If I was a student, what would I see as part of the course material? Basically, like there's a few different components of this class. The underlying idea is to develop a kind of critical theory for like multimedia works or comics that are meant to depict music or depicting like musicians. The critical theory that we're exploring is from this film theorist who wrote a book, this guy named Michel Chion, this French film theorist, he wrote a book called Audio Vision. And it's about creating a critical theory for assessing audio on film. And I'm adapting his terminology to creating a theory to assess the multimedia comics, instrumental like my book. And then the students will then use these kind of theoretical ideas to make their own comics and music. It's a pretty ambitious class. I am giving them options for like assignments if they would prefer to just do music that's inspired by comics. And everything has to be defended. So like they can do music inspired by comics or vice versa, or they can do a multimedia project or just an analytical project. And if they do any creative projects, they have to like write a written defense of their decision making. The graphic novels and comics that we're uh, reading my book, and that will give me a chance to really dive deep into like 
the way I thought about it, it'll give a nice first person. A Voodoo Child, Bill Sienkiewicz, Total Jazz by Blutch, The Fifth Beetle, Hip Hop Family Tree, Glenn Gould, A Life Off Tempo. I think that that's it for the reading that I have besides this like critical theory book. I think it's going to be a good class. I'm going to have the students like do a little bit of like weekly journaling where they try like experimentally to combine different types of music with different comics and sort of like to document any synchronicities between the two of them just to get them thinking about it. I think it's going to be good. It sounds great. You've got some great books on your syllabus there. Something like this, and maybe you're thinking about this down the road, but you should write a book about this, comics and music and some of the things that you cover. I have definitely thought about it. Just a matter of when, how to fit it in. Yeah, exactly. It's a busy life, you know? It certainly is, because you have another comic coming up, and it's coming up in February of 2020 through Scout Comics. It's called uh, Canopus. The first issue comes out February 12th, and there's four issues for this one, and I can't wait for people to read this thing. I'm so excited. It's about an amnesic astronaut who wakes up 300,000 light years from Earth with a vague memory of an extinction-level urgency to return to Earth. So there's a mystery there right off the bat. Trying to return by collecting materials on the planet to repair her ship, because she's stranded on this planet, and she encounters her memories in the form of monsters. You know, not only is this a space story, and it's got monsters and things, but there's a lot more going on. This is about self-identity. This is about purpose. This is about what should someone do. It's very deep philosophically. And as you go through each issue, it gets deeper and deeper. And you learn more and more. It's quite an undertaking. And I think people are going to be really surprised what they discover as they're going through each issue and hanging with it. Because it really does pay off big time at the end. Thank you. And I love the logo on this thing. Because you're using that uh, George Schmelet trip to the moon logo. Man on the moon face. That's right. That's right. It's a classy one. I like that. Thank you. Now, people write about what they know about. I mean, you're getting into a lot of things about purpose, identity, and emotional events that we never forget. So what brought this idea to write a comic like this? Something you can identify with? Something you've experienced? People you know have experienced? The emotional kind of inspiration for this is that I have this cognitive dissonance inside me regarding the concept of forgiveness. I like really hold a grudge, like a bad grudge. It's really hard for me to let go of infractions or injustices if the infracting party doesn't show any remorse and doesn't like apologize. And I've never really been able to understand people who can forgive without an apology without some kind of realization of the truth. There's a few like long-standing grudges that I've held in my life like a decade and I just realized that this is killing me. They say that like holding a grudge is like instead of poisoning your enemy you're just poisoning yourself. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to understand how to like let go because it's easy to give let like letting go like lip service to just say like oh you know just forgive and forget it's fine but then like to actually do that is really really hard and at least for me it's really hard i thought that there's a story there i kind of thought like well the, you know there's a story and and, and i love sci-fi and so this kind of sat in the back of my head for a long time just thinking to myself there's a story in my own inability to like forgive people and then I was on a flight to Boston to give like a lecture and I had this very like sci-fi high concept 
big picture idea. And when this idea hit me, I knew that it was going to lock in perfectly with my kind of more grounded emotional idea about forgiveness, then that a story was going to spin out of that. And that's what this ended up being. I'm not going to say what the high-minded sci-fi idea is because I don't want to spoil it. And that's what turned into Canopus. I'll just talk a little bit about the structure of the story. And the pacing is pretty quick until you get to there'll be some flashback sequences. And we'll learn a little more about the main character, Helen Sterling, through some flashbacks. So I talked about memories becoming monsters. Well, we'll go back and see some of the things that led to her being there. And what I found interesting was the book moves along pretty briskly. And then when you get to the flashback, you really get some dense storytelling on a couple of pages. Go into low gear and just kind of take through these things very slowly. And I guess in a way that's kind of like her always ruminating about these things or holding that grudge. I think it's also the nature of memory, the way time gets messed up and the perception of time gets messed up in memory. Memory is like time travel in the sense that like you can remember an entire day in like an instant and the time dissonance, the instant in which you're remembering it versus the length of time that you're remembering is super interesting to me. And I thought, how can I capture this bizarre delay? When she has her memory recovered, she has her flashback. Time slows down for us as the reader. We're like experiencing this flood of Helen's memories. But for Helen, it's all of that flood is happening in an instant. Most of the storytelling logic and rules, visual like logic that you find in the present day story proper gets kind of chucked out the window for the flashbacks. And it's kind of a little bit more chaotic panel layout, a lot more of a dense story, less like step-by-step progress and more like big chunks of time, each panel taking up big chunks of time and so on. And the art is fantastic, especially on those pages where you get to experiment because it's not the here and now, it's a flashback. So the way you present that how good is this? Well, you got praise from J.H. Williams III. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. He and I kind of connected on Twitter. It's kind of a little bit of a convoluted story, but basically he posted something feeling pretty burned by DC regarding the character Promethea being used in Justice League. And I sent him a message uh, on Twitter, just kind of commiserating in like a smaller way I can relate and just kind of shared a story from my past. And then he turned around and we chatted for a second and then he turned around and bought instrumental and like posted about it and posted about how much he enjoyed it. And at that point, I got in touch with him. I thought to myself, this is a pretty cool like context to have. This is he's one of my biggest influences and one of my one of my art heroes. And I just love his ambition. I stayed in touch with him while I was working on this book and would send him chapters and stuff like that. And always had like really nice things to say. Pretty cool. Pretty surreal, to be honest with you, but pretty awesome. All four issues are done. They're coming out through Scout, so there'll be no delays. And Scout's a great publisher. I've had other artists and writers from Scout on the show, and I've enjoyed their comics very much. It's all set to go, so kicking it off in February. I mean, you must be super excited about seeing this come out. I'm so excited that Scout is putting it out. They've been really cool to work with. I don't know what to say. I'm just like so thrilled. I'm kind of like buzzing. I'm so excited for people to read this thing. I really hope people like it. (laughs) How did you hook up with Scout as the publisher? I just sent it their way, and they uh, got back to me pretty quickly. And the contract looked good, and so we move forward with it. They make good choices, I find. <laughs> yeah, they have some really cool books, for sure. Think about the kind of person 
who would want to read this book, like create a persona of <laughs> the reader this would speak to. What is that person like? Who is that person? I would say that this book is for people 16 and up and have grappled with some heavy life problems and are looking for literature that kind of dives a little bit deeper. I know that's not real a really clear demographic, so let me try again. <laughs> no, I'm going to say that's practically everyone. <laughs> I don't know, man. It seems like some people, nothing against these people, but it seems like some people just want pulpy, goofy stuff. Mm -hmm. Escapism. And that's cool, man. There's some like fun adventure in this book and scary, creepy weirdness. And it kind of plums the depths of what it means to forgive someone or what it means to let go or what it means to forgive yourself. These kind of more uh, vulnerable topics. Maybe it is everyone. Everyone needs to buy this book. That's the answer. Well, I think everyone who picks it up and reads it can identify with some of the things that Helen has gone through. Some form or another, they've gone through some of these things. So they will be able to identify with the character and have some empathy and make some kind of connection so that as with any good book, and as I always say this on the show, with any good comic writer, that's what you have to do. With any writer, you have to care about the character. You have to, they have to be real to you as you're reading it. And that's what you yeah. do. I think it's good to say that it's for just about everybody because there is something everyone can identify with. But yes, there's nothing wrong with books that are fun, escapism. I like those things. I fit them in my comic diet and read them. But I also sometimes look for something a little more that goes a little further, delves into a little bit of philosophy, especially when it nibbles on the edges of Eastern philosophy, which is kind of in there. So I, <laughs> I really like that part, too, because there are some things I was like, oh, it's very good. So um, people who like that, you know, I'm not saying it's that kind of book, but those ideas, you'll find them in there if you pay attention. So uh, looking forward to it. If you have some time. We'll do the old kicking back with the creator where I just ask questions of my guests to learn more about them as people. You're playing music, you're teaching classes, you're making comics. But when you're not, what do you do to rest and relax? What is resting? What is relaxing? I know, because you're obsessed. I'm not great, super great at relaxing, but you know, just like everybody else, I like to put on like whatever TV show watching at any given time. I love reading as well, not just comics. I love reading all kinds of different books. I usually have two or three books going at any given time. Right, I do too. It's hard to fit that time in. You're trying to get everything into your day. It's so hard. So I might leave something for a while, but I mark the page where I left off. And it's usually something I'm not like, oh, geez, what happened last? I mean, it might be something that's not fiction, you know, so I can just pick it up and go, okay, next chapter. You know. Exactly, exactly. Now, thinking back, what was your favorite birthday? I have no idea. It's hard for me to, to answer that. I'm sure that there's a wrong answer. <laughs> no, no. There's the one that stands out. It's just a, a really great memory for you. Something about it you just will never forget. I think they just keep getting better and better. So the best is yet to come. You don't know yet because it hasn't happened. Yeah, like my last birthday was really awesome. I think I'm getting a more and more like a hermit as I get older. I'm enjoying it. So this birthday I just spent with my wife. She took me around to like a bunch of different bookstores and was just like, get whatever you want. <laughs> now, does she read comics? She reads my comics. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing better than me. <laughs> we, uh, no, every now and then we'll read something together, but I kind of have to like curate it for her. Her sensibilities are just a, a little bit different from what you might find in a typical comic that's catered towards dude stuff. Uh, but she was, uh, I got to tell you, she was the best editor 
ever. She's the best at picking out characters' motivations and the emotional like underpinning of a character. And is this action or is this sentence an honest thing that that person would say or do? I'm not just saying this like instrumental in putting together Canopus. Like she, it would be a f- way worse book if she wasn't part of the process. Okay, way worse. <laughs> I think so for sure. If she wasn't part of it, those character moments, you know, like how is someone going to react when this happens or when that happens? And some of those were just me like turning on my voice recorder and talking with her about this story and just seeing like how she would react and stuff like that. So trying to get as much like real dialogue in there as possible. And it was great. A spouse is a fantastic editor or a partner because they just have the ability to just cut through the BS and just tell you like it is. Hopefully, right? Oh, my wife doesn't hold back. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of books, now the hypothetical situation question is you're stuck on a deserted island. You can only have one book or a set if they're related. I'll be fair about that. And it's not a survival thing. No, just something you want to read for pleasure. So you're going to be there for a while. So what is the one book you want to have with you? I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. It's hard to narrow them down. It's really hard to say. I would say maybe, I think there's a lot of richness in Moby Dick. I guess I'll say Moby Dick. But then I look at like Akira. There's pictures in that one. (laughs) (laughs) So you have your comic pick and you have your novel pick. I guess so. Now, this is just a fun hypothetical. Okay. Okay. So Scout's going to make an action figure of you. Now, what's your accessory or accessories? I guess probably just some musical instruments, you know. (laughs) That seems like a pretty safe answer. You have many instruments, amazing array of instruments you can play. Now, when you're resting and relaxing, what is your beverage of choice? I usually just drink water. (laughs) Oh, dude, that's so boring. (laughs) That's Um, what I'm drinking right now, actually. (laughs) uh, I drink a lot of coffee, so probably coffee. I didn't start till I was like 30, 33 drinking coffee. Never drank it before that. Yeah, I started pretty late as well. I started around age 28. Why do we do that? I'm really glad I did. <laughs> what still gets you excited? Just creating and sharing with the stuff that I create and the process of making this stuff. I just like time travel when I'm doing this. I lose hours of time. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'm an obsessed person too. When I'm working on something, be it podcast, researching for podcasts, reading stuff, I just lose all track of time. And it's like, are you coming down for dinner? Are you coming to bed? You know, so I have to set boundaries for myself so I can kind of make sure other things get done. It is like time travel. You forget what time it is. You lose all track of time. Now, is there anything that keeps you up at night? I mean, I know for like some creators, it's like, oh, what's my next gig? <laughs> is there anything that's always in the back of your mind? Sometimes for me, it's work. My biggest source of anxiety historically in my life has been work-related stuff. But I, I feel like I'm starting to relax a little bit in that regard. I think for a long time, I really wanted to be like a square in the sense that I wanted that life where I had one job that paid all my bills around 40 hours a week. I was looking for like a tenured college teaching job. It seemed like every time I took one step in that direction, every circumstance in my life would kick me 10 steps back. Yo, Dave, your life is really going to be strange. And that's the way it is. And so now I've come to like embrace and enjoy the fact that I teach like a couple college classes and I teach a bunch of music to kids. I teach some rock bands. I play like gigs on trumpet. I play gigs on guitar. I draw comics for people. I do art commissions for people. Now I teach a drawing class. 
I love everything that I do. I'm not bored of any of it. I'm in this position that I, since I have so many plates that are spinning, I can be kind of picky and choosy about the projects that I say yes to almost all of those fields. So if you would have asked, Dave, what do you want to do with your life? At some point in the past, I would have answered, I want to just be able to do whatever I want to do. Somehow it came true where I just kind of do what I want and someone pays me for it. And so that's cool. I feel extremely lucky. So the point is I used to feel a lot of anxiety about that because I felt like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And as soon as I kind of threw out the supposed to, I realized I really enjoy my life. And so I don't feel anxious about that. So in this current moment, I feel anxious about the state of democracy in America. That's what I feel anxiety about. What book did you read that changed the way you think? It's such a cliche, but I'm going to say Watchmen, books by Alan Moore, Promethea and Watchmen and Providence. Now, did you watch a movie that left a lasting impression on you? I know there's some movies I'll see something, I'll see a scene. It'll be very powerful. And I'm like, wow, I'll be thinking about that for days. In fact, I don't want to see that again. But it was a very impactful scene. But is there a movie that left a lasting impression. It doesn't have to be negative, though. Yeah, Children of Men. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. What's that about? Oh, my gosh, dude. That movie's incredible. You got to watch it. It's so good. It's from the same director that did Roma and Gravity and the third Harry Potter movie. Okay. Alfonso Cuaron. It's been like 23 years since any woman on Earth has given birth. For some reason, all of humanity is infertile. It's heavy, man. It's amazing. It's like seriously an incredible movie. And there are some scenes that are like completely immersive and profound. I don't know what else to say. It's just everything. It's incredible. So since we're talking about impactful books and movies, let's talk about your life. What moment in your life was a turning point? I mean, for me, it was moving. I think coming out to Rochester, it was the uh, first time I didn't live in the same city as like my parents and stuff like that. And I think that I've had a lot of like some real hard times, some really great times. I think I've really grown into the person. If I hadn't moved to this place, I think that I can look back on myself before I moved here and just think like I really was um, uptight. This place has really turned into home for me and I'm really glad that I moved here. So it's helped you to let go and start your own path in life. I think so. Yeah. It's not that there was anything in Salt Lake that was keeping me from doing that besides myself. Moving here helped me get out of my own way. Now, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? You know, you could have started your path earlier, but maybe there's something else you say, yeah, I wish I'd known that, or I wish I believed that. You know, it's easy to like think of all kinds of different things, but I'm going to say, no, I think that the path I'm on is the path I'm supposed to be. I don't feel any pressure to, to be different than I am right now. Or look, I don't look back with a lot of regret. I suppose... When I look at my 20s, I was like really safe in my 20s in the sense I lived a very like meager life. I didn't travel unless it was for music. I saved a lot of money, but I didn't really live a lot. It's easy to look back on that and think, man, like 20s are supposed to be like fun and blah, blah, blah. I really kind of set myself up in my 30s to be able to like not feel like really stressed out all the time. I don't feel any any regrets like that about my life. I think that I learned everything that I was supposed to learn while I was learning it. Well, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, there are some things I would do differently. Uh, there are some things I would have done sooner, but I don't regret things because what good is that going to do? I mean, I can't change anything. It's the past. It's now memory and I don't want to be traumatized by it. So <laughs> let's just, you know, I mean, I am where I am because of what I did. So 
here I am. How do you want to be remembered by fans, family? Oh my gosh. It's a real, that question is such a trap, isn't it? <laughs> well, I just, I just people to say it about me. I was like, he was all right. <laughs> that'd yeah, be, right, right. That'd be fine. <laughs> it's like just a test to see how enormous someone's ego is, right? <laughs> Well, no, I mean, people have certain things like they say, well, my main thing is to be a good parent, a good provider, or um, I'm not saying me. I'm just saying people have, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I don't either. Don't see, I'm in the trap now, but I'm just saying people have certain things that they want to, I want to write this great book or whatever. I don't even have an answer for something like that, but I didn't know if you had thought about that. I don't even know. I guess I don't really think about how I want to be remembered. Like I would rather have my work be remembered whether it's music or comics, I'm trying to like put out some cool work and then a good teacher for all my teaching stuff. And then, then in terms of the personal family stuff, I just want to be kind. I want kindness to be the thing people remember about me. Sounds fair. <laughs> I would like that too. You know, I want my, my tombstone to say loving father and uh, hey, we survived. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any like really big high goals. This went to be like, the kids don't hate me later, you know? It's tough as a parent. You know, you're trying to guide them and, and help them. But sometimes you're the parent. You know, you're not necessarily the buddy all the time. See, sometimes you have to drop the hammer and say, okay, you can't do this or you can't do that. Why? Well, because, you know, I'm yep. the parent. You know, you know how it is. So hopefully they say, okay, I see now what they were trying to do. Yeah. It's a fine balance, you know? I mean, it's not just yes, no. You have to still make yourself approachable and trusted as a parent so they will come to you and tell you things that they need help with or you know to get them some guidance when they want it you want to remain the open door in other words that all makes sense makes sense to me i'm still learning <laughs> that means you're doing something right because if someone says they're not learning anymore <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i've always said that once you say yeah no you're done then both of us being obsessed people are always trying to improve 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 and find ways to make things better and better and better we're never satisfied i know that's probably the kind of person you are i'm never satisfied and i mean in terms of my own stuff not like oh that that's great it's no good son i want a hundred dollars like my own output there's not much more in the world that's annoying than like a self-appointed expert on anything expertise should always be shared reluctantly <laughs> well you work hard for it you don't want to give it away and the thing is when someone says like oh here's chris he's the guru of blah 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 you know i go no 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 i'm not i know some things and i know what i don't know so i go to get help when i had you know like, I, I don't quite understand this can you explain this to me uh, i don't know where to find this you know i never consider myself the expert on any one area at work or whatever you know i know certain things i do them very well but I am not the expert. Yep. Well, I've had a lot of fun this evening discussing with you about you and your work and your music and Canopus coming up February. And now we know it's going to be issue one, February 12th. Yeah, super exciting. It's going to be so awesome. I hope people buy it. <laughs> That's right before Valentine's Day. What a gift. Buy for someone you love. Oh, no. What you... <laughs> There's a go-to-market strategy. Buy for someone you love or someone who loves comics or someone who you want to love comics. There you go. It's a comic for people who love comics or hate comics. <laughs> Dave, thanks so much for being on Creative Talks. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a great time. Okay, coming up next week, I'm working on it. Got a few irons in the fire, but I don't want to say yet because things happen, scheduling, etc., etc., so... 
watch social media. I'll let you know who's coming up on the show next. And I am on at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And by the way, on Instagram, for this year, I'm going to post mostly Bronze Age comics on Saturdays and Sundays, occasionally a few fringe Silver Age books, the 15 centers that kind of fall between Silver and Bronze Age. So look for those on Saturday and Sunday. And the show is available on all podcast platforms to subscribe to. You know, the usual iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Wait a minute. I keep saying that. It's now called Apple Podcasts. That's where you can find it and subscribe. And if you haven't already and you have an iPhone, this is really easy. Just click on the Apple Podcast app. You can put in Creator Talks. Scroll down. You'll see the stars there. And just click on the stars. That's it. That's all you have to do to leave a rating. You don't even have to write a review. It's nice but you don't have to. Not necessary. Oh, and by the way, as you know, you can subscribe through YouTube where you can hear the audio of my podcast. Plus, I have some videos out there. And the last one was Don Glute talking about Gold Key Comics he wrote and Marvel Comics, his Tales of Frankenstein movie, and his work on Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella, etc. Well, if you don't like to listen to my voice and see my face, you can listen to the podcast. And if you don't like my voice either, Then I have my blog available, which is transcripts. I say transcripts. They're not exact word for word. I do clarify things and fix little English. I just can't help it. As I said in the show today, I obsess. But you can read the interview there. And I will have the next one, Don Glute, in two parts coming up this month. And that is at creatortalkspod.blogspot.com. Catchy, isn't it? The old Google Blogspot. That's what I'm using. Look, the price is right. Free, and it gets the job done. So check that out if you haven't already. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. I hope you enjoyed those comics you picked up for Creator Talks. This has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time.